0: Welcome to the Situation Report for March 29th, 2023. This is Lieutenant Carl Murray. I'm doing a situation report tonight instead of a instead of a live chat just because I don't have the time to do it. And a lot of other things going on. And fallout from the from the uh the public the public feud that I started the other night. And let me be clear about a few things about that, because I had a bunch of questions about it. So let me be perfectly clear and transparent about it. I don't do public shit like that. In fact, I make it a point not to do, you know, public feuds like that. But I finally reached the point where I'm at right now, where I've been at and where I'm going to be at. I allowed other people to be involved in not just the show, not just the situation report, but in the team for 11 months. And the last eight months has been, other people injecting things into the the show, which I acquiesced on some of it, and a lot of it I said no to. And I finally reached the point where I'm tired of third parties. I'm tired of triangular conversations. I'm tired of the fact that the the people that are injecting information into my show and trying to inject content into the show as well as people onto the team don't have the common courtesy to call me directly. And communicate with me directly, and I finally reached my limit with it. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I do not care. There's three things I said to myself that I, when I started this, that I'm going to hold true to. One of which is that I was never going to be behold, be beholden to somebody else. Number two, I was never going to monetize this and make money off of this. This was always something I wanted to do, in order to wake people up and get them to see that there's so much information war being used against them and nothing they see they can believe. And the third and most important piece was I was going to do this and say this my way and not get wrapped up in the group think, not get wrapped up in political correctness, not get wrapped up in somebody else's perception of how things should be. And I'm sticking to that and I've stuck to that all along. And this was, this was, me saying okay i have three options none of those options i like so i'm going to do something outside of those options and drive the point the point home and tonight it's simply put the live shot was too much and this will probably cause this will probably cause waves across the team for for an extended period of time again I don't care. My reputation's wrapped up in this. And it's amazing how many times I have to remind people of that. It's easy to sit behind the scenes and sharpshoot people when you're not in front of the camera and you're not in front of the mic. But when you're in front of the mic, it's a whole different game because it's your reputation. And I refuse to let somebody else dictate how I do business. Which brings me to the the topic of today. The perception of how the World War III is going to develop. This conversation has been going on for a while, and I wanted to put some things on the table for people to consider. First and foremost is, this is not going to be a kinetic war like World War II. It's not going to be like World War I. And if you look at those two wars, just like Korea you'll see that each war was vastly different from the previous. In World War I, it was basically static trench warfare with the use of artillery and the growth of artillery. In World War II, it was maneuver warfare and amphibious warfare. And you saw massive advancements in both technology, tactics, and training both during the war and after the war. We've moved into a different stage in our culture where war is not its not tolerated the same way it used to be tolerated or accepted, however you want to look at that. At the same time, governments have realized that that kind of warfare is too destructive to society in order to maintain power. And they've learned that by pacifying the population, they can get more things done. They can they can exert more control by pacifying you versus trying to fight a protracted strategic war of attrition. There's far more there's far more advantages to fighting the way we're doing it now via information, via culture, via economics and via proxy than there is to direct engagement with a strategic enemy. And right now, we have three strategic enemies. Russia, China, and India. And they're not strategic enemies in the sense of they're kinetic enemies. They're economic enemies. And BRICS has influenced and changed the landscape as well as the battlescape. BRICS ushered in a dual monetary system and our system is collapsing underneath our feet. And when you look at the competence that's in Washington, D.C., that's in New York and Silicon Valley, it's easy to see how all these systems were compromised. It's also easy to see that instead of them bringing people in that have domain experience, They double down with more academic eggheads that are more ethereal than they are. They have more ethereal experience than they do practical experience to be able to write the ship. And their egos won't allow them to bring people in that have done this before to take the information in the first place. So they just double down on things that don't work. And we're seeing the collapse of that happen all at the same time. We're also seeing a concerted effort by oligarchs like Bill Gates to reduce the population on the planet through other means than war. That doesn't mean all these activities are coupled together under a magic cabal. It means that there's a lot of marriages of convenience, and those are starting to fray and and crumble all at the same time. But the bigger danger here is not... The economic warfare, it's not it's not the cultural warfare, and it's definitely not the information warfare. It's the hysteria and the fact that the, the information war has been used to divide the country to a point and infuse so much misinformation to a point that people don't know what to believe. The way we come out of this the way we deal with all of these different types of warfare that are being levied against us is not to do kinetic operations. First of all, you don't know who the enemy is. Not all of them, anyway. And the ones that that need to be neutralized are so far in the deep dark that you never identify them anyway, because they spend all their time working to... Stay in the shadows. That's how they've always done it, is anonymity. And people say, well, it's on display now. No, it's really not. There's still the deep dark and the institutional money, but it's behind a lot of the things that we're seeing that people don't realize. And that deep dark is, that's the that's the invisible hand that's influencing a lot of the policy decisions, the economic decisions, the cultural decisions, And they may be disparate groups across the country that have nothing to do with each other. The point of it is, is that the war is not going to develop the way you think it is. And this whole notion that there's going to be these massive kinetic operations and you're just going to go kick doors down, that's not real. It may be kinetic in certain regions. There may be kinetic in certain areas, but it's not going to be this massive battlefront like World War II. Those days are over. In fact, if you look at World War II, there's a lot of historical things that happened prior to World War II and during World War II that shaped the battlefield of today. Let's start with aircraft. In the 20s, Billy Mitchell proved that that aircraft can destroy ships Way more effectively than naval gunfire, which essentially was the end of the battleship and the rise of the aircraft carrier. And the aircraft carrier has been the capital ship, the predominant capital ship for the past 80 years. That's coming to an end with the drone technology, hyper um, hyperspeed missiles, hypersonic missiles, sorry, and with GPS. Because you can launch a missile from five, six hundred miles away with pinpoint accuracy using GPS and satellites. You don't need to steer an airplane over there with a pilot in the cockpit and bomb a ship anymore. And much like the battleship, the institutions are fighting against that because it changes the entire structure of the institution. Look at how the aircraft carrier changed the face of the Navy. Look at how the the nuclear submarine, the nuclear navy, changed the navy and the structure of the navy in the 50s when the nuclear navy came around. It changed the nature of warfare. It changed the dynamics of an institution that doesn't pivot and change. And you saw that there's, there's multiple examples of that at the start of World War II and during World War II one of which was maneuver warfare. It was, not a, it was not a doctrine that the Americans taught. In fact, the concept of the tank was revolutionized in World War II. In World War I and the start of World War II, Americans viewed tanks as, as they were basically mobile artillery units to support infantry. The idea of tank-to-tank engagement and high velocity shells to destroy tanks, that wasn't a thing until the first engagements with, with German tanks, and they realized that the Germans were using high velocity shells and how devastating those were on our tanks. That's why the Shermans were so woefully outgunned, is because they had a they had a low velocity 75 millimeter cannon that was basically a mortar tube. And then towards the end of the wars, when we started getting the, the high velocity and the armor piercing and some of the other tank routes, because we had to learn quick how to counter that German threat. Well, today you don't have any of that. If you if you see anything on the Ukrainian battlefield, you see two things happening real time that's revolutionizing the battlefield. One is the use of drones for a variety of different missions. You have drones that are doing direct engagement. You have drones that are doing observation. You have drones that are doing that are doing reconnaissance. You have drones that are doing anti-personnel missions. You have drones that are doing weather missions. They're doing a variety of things that used to be done by humans. And you're also seeing the aircraft war and the air war revolutionize all at the same time. For 50 years, the U.S. spent trillions of dollars on integrated air defense systems, integrated air operations, and advanced radar platforms for aircraft, and advanced platforms for intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance. We spent trillions of dollars on those platforms. Every one of them obsolete today. Because a $75 drone can take out that airplane, no matter where it's at, using pinpoint GPS, obsolete overnight. Just like with any ship missiles that can travel 500, 600 miles, aircraft carrier, obsolete. The nature of warfare has changed to the point where these direct engagements with large groups of forces are over. That's why I say the battle is not going to develop the way you think it is because of the fact that most of our society is reliant on information, not word of mouth. And that information comes in so many different forms that you have to dominate the battle space of information in order to influence the population, which is why they've conducted such a sustained and prolonged influencing operations on our population to accept pedophilia, to accept this trans gay AI, um, transhuman agenda, to accept all of the, um, communist innuendos and communist um, indoctrination into our education system to accept the fact that there's persecution of religion, that would have never happened in the 70s and 80s because people were still predominantly reliant on human interaction to pass information, and now it's all done via electronic means. So you can completely fake an entire culture with deep fakes and they would never know the difference who's to say that most of the war footage that we're seeing of ukraine isn't crafted by some kind of ai because if you look at the technology around propaganda the technology around just imagery you can see how all of it can be spoofed by ai with the right ai americans would never know the difference and just like that governments have figured out that they don't need to use the same type of the same type of information in order to influence the public they can use different mediums platforms and talking points in order to influence the population at the same time they can divide the population and conduct what they're doing now which is their They're going after culture, they're going after our logistics, they're going after banking, they're going after a a variety of different cultural icons within our society. And they're doing it all real time. And people are so confused about what to believe or who to believe that it's easy for them to manipulate the public. At the same time, you have a group and a population that don't trust the media, the government, or anything they see. So they're constantly wrapped up in information and if you flood that with garbage you keep them tied up doing research and everything else how do you explain q even though people are awake it's they could still be confused by the deep technology that's been used to to prosecute the propaganda war and the point of all of that is not that what you're being fed is bullshit it's the fact that they don't need to do kinetic operations in order to bring a country to its knees and that's just the information side of it and the cultural side of it economically we gave the go we gave up the ghost 20 years ago 30 years ago we started movie production overseas cuz it was cheaper guess what We started destroying our own economic base. And China has spent the last 20 years, while we were distracted with war, they were building infrastructure. They were securing resources. They were working with other countries that were outside of the war on terror, and they were securing agreements for basing, warm water ports, you name it, trade. We did it to ourselves. They just took a a book out of our playbook and went around and did what we did in the 50s. We went around and secured all the, these strategic resources. At the same time that was going on, you have dipshits like the Clintons and the Bushes that are setting up money laundering operations across the U.S. So they were setting up corruption and crime families while we were fighting wars, while the Chinese were building their infrastructure and building their, their economic base to counter us at the same time they were buying gold. This war has been going on for a long time and you didn't even know what was going on. And when you look at the corruption just in our country, you can see how that can happen very easily, which brings me to the subject of China infiltration of the Bidens. You can't look at this as Biden's a newly compromised asset. He's been compromised because of his business dealings for a very long time. And he's been a mob boss like Pelosi, like Feinstein, like the Bush family, like Kerry, like Mitt Romney. They're all crime families, just like the McCain's are crime family. They focused on their states first while at the national level, enacted legislation that helped them in their states pick key people in their states and all the agencies to give them cover for the money laundering and the criminality and the fraud, which is what we're seeing play out right now in each one of these states, completely compromised by people in key positions that are conducting money laundering, human trafficking, drug, drug, trafficking, you, drug trafficking, you name it. So it's easy to see how the Chinese could have taken an economic superiority past us long before we ever went to war. And then you get to COVID. While we were blundering through a series of globalist intentions to bring us into a central bank digital currency in this control grid, China was in the background building all the necessary building blocks like we did in the 50s to become the reserve currency for the world. And while we were stumbling our way through and binging our way through the globalist agenda. They were consolidating power and working with countries that didn't want to work with us anymore. And now it's an open display with BRICS. So this war, the, the economic war, has been going on for three decades now. This is not a new phenomenon. It's just it took COVID for us to realize that China controls the supply chain and the sea lines of communication. We don't own those anymore. And for us to take them back means that we have to bring production capability back here. We have to start building wartime production of military equipment to go exert the necessary force in order to take back the sea lines of communication, which, to be honest with you, is not possible at this point. It's, it would be possible if we made some strategic and tactical extreme decisions, but nobody in D.C., no politician is going to do that no no government official is going to make that decision no military leader is going to make that decision but that that would require a drastic change in our culture our our diplomatic and foreign policy i just don't see anybody making it and the significance of the things that happened during covid were not just on a logistical or economic um playing field it was all it was all the rest of it as well it was the the action reaction coordination it was the economic it was the communication but most importantly it was the information war that was waged during COVID that woke a lot of people up to hey we're not dominant anymore and what you're seeing right now is the fact that this this system that we're living under is crumbling at their feet and they don't know what to do to not just keep it, but they don't know what to do to turn it around. And instead of bringing new blood in or sorry, instead of bringing old blood in to tell them the things that didn't work from previous administrations, they double down, they bring in new people, they double down on bad ideas, they bring in inexperienced people like Janet Yellen, and they do stupid things, which is what control freaks do. They double down on control when they feel like they're losing control. And we're we're seeing that real time. All of those things add up to a a collapse. They all add up to a a shift in both the geopolitical spectrum, the economic spectrum, and the cultural spectrum. That's why this war won't look the same as World War II. We were a different country and a different society back then. We don't have the same appetite to support a government that we did back then. And we don't have the same moral compass that we had back then to be able to carry that out. And we don't have the resolve. That's evident in the fact that we've had two elections stolen and no one took to the streets. This will look drastically different than everything else that we've seen in our history. And part of the reason why this channel exists is to prepare you for the one thing that most people do not do well, and that is accept change in order for you to make it through this you have to be able to embrace accept and pivot off of change and expect the unexpected those days of 9 to 5 routine you go home you watch the three channels on tv remember those days where you had the you were the remote control you had to physically get up and and flip the channel literally turn a dial to change the channel between ABC, NBC, or CBS, or your local station that was usually an abject train wreck. Those days are over. They're long over. What's ahead of us is ambiguity, constant change, and adaptation. At some point, we'll come together as a country, and we'll start to push back on this. But the system of control, the system we've been fighting for the last, you know, six years, that system has to die while we're fighting a fight. None of that's going to happen gracefully. None of that's going to be predictive. There's no predictive analysis you can use to see what this is going to look like. You can, you can have an opinion like I do. I have an opinion, but I don't think it's going to look the way that everybody else thinks it's going to look. And that's clear from the conversations I've had lately. You know, people are, people are wrapped up in fear. The reason why I say you don't have anything to be scared of is because you really don't. In World War II, if you look back at World War II and you look at the, the amount of fear that was pervasive through the U.S. society, you will see a drastically different culture when the Japanese attacked at Pearl Harbor, it shocked the entire country. Not because of the attack, but because of the fact that they realized that the entire West Coast was wide open for invasion. And rather than think that logistically they couldn't pull it off, they thought and they reacted to they could attack the West Coast. There was no way. We're talking about 1,000 miles of, of coastline. There was a variety of places they could have landed, a variety of places they could, have, they could have secured a beachhead. But nobody stopped to think, do they have the logistical capability to pull it off? Do they have the resources to pull it off? You're talking about 10,000 miles of ocean to get to the West Coast. That's a tall order, just like I was talking about Normandy. It's a tall order to do all of those logistics. Nobody stopped to ask the question. So everybody was still in paralyzed with fear. They had incidents where somebody would report a, an enemy aircraft and the entire sky would light up with any aircraft fire. That's not a joke that actually happened. And people were, you know, somewhat removed from the war, but it was omnipresent in their life because they were scared the Japanese could land at any moment. They had no idea. If you look at what's going on in Ukraine right now, most Americans have no idea what's going on there, and they don't care. There's no fear right now. But you take away the ability for people to get money out of a cash machine, to buy groceries, to buy, to buy gas. They're going to be you now be scared. They're going to be disoriented, and they're going to be angry. Most people aren't paying enough attention. Fear is a motivator, but there's nothing to be scared of, because everybody's going to be in the same boat. But this is why. I've been pushing people to go read Lance Gonzalez's book, deep survival, because the people that are going to be able to embrace and accept the changes that come with that and the ambiguity, which is the most important part of it. Those are the people that are going to be able to accept the situation they're in and start making decisions versus hissing and moaning and complaining about it and doing nothing. It's like the book who stole my cheese, right? There's, there's one mouse. There's one mouse that sits down, basically starves to death and dies. There's another mouse that puts on the shoes and is gone to go look for the net, go go look for the cheese in the maze. There's a third one that complains bitterly for a while and then puts on the puts on the shoes and goes and looks for for more cheese. That's exactly the quintessential explanation of our entire culture. As this happens, you're going to have a group that's ready to go that accepts the situation and then moves out to find the resources or already has the resources and they're ready for the changes to come. Then you're going to have a group that doesn't have any resources, they don't know what to do, and they're going to wither and die because they have no ability to adapt to change. And then you're going to have a group in the middle. You're going to have a group that doesn't know what to do at first, they're going to be confused, and they're going to start making decisions when they have to. For some of them, it'll be too late. For some of them, it won't be. The point is, when you, when you accept the fear, you accept the situation, and you accept the ambiguity, you're going to be able to make good decisions. That's the entire point of this channel. It's not to tell you what shit to buy so you can watch Netflix while everybody's starving to death. It's not to get you ready to kick doors in because it's not that kind of a situation. And it's definitely not set up and we don't propagate a message that you go put on your shit and then go take resources from somebody else. The way we come through this, the way we win this, the way we recapture our culture is it's through collaboration, cooperation within your sphere of influence. That's how you take the country back. Mass non-compliance mass unity, mass action. And it starts at the local level in your sphere of influence and works out. That's why your line of sight is so important, to know what groups are around you, what groups are favorable, what groups are not favorable, etc. Because when the change happens, it doesn't matter what party or political affiliation you are. Change affects everyone differently. And crisis situations affect everybody the same way. Everybody gets hit with it. It's their reaction that determines whether they save their life or not. That's the point of the exercise. It's the point of the channel. It's part of the reason why I'm so militant about keeping the content the way I want it is for that reason. When you let other people come into your organization and influence your operations, Then you become the American media periscope where the place is dominated by 107. I can't stand the guy. He's a bullshit artist. But he makes the circuit and makes the rounds on all all their shows. And they've lost credibility because of it. And it's too bad because they had a great message when they started. And then on the other end of the spectrum, when you look at an organization like the Washington Pundit, whom I've talked about, agnosium, everything they do, they back up with facts and, inf- and factual information. And why that's important is your sphere of influence is going to be laced with, with people and with process and with collaboration that's factual information. And building that network now is going to give you better communication and better collaboration when things do become chaotic. That's the point of this. And it's also the point of the channel providing you with information you can use in action. We don't always get that right. I don't always get it right. But the point is, if there's enough information that you can use, then that's a win. And I'm not going to change that for anybody or anything. And I'm unapologetic about that. So tonight I'm going to, I am going to end. Actually, it's today. Actually, I'm going to end with some Dawkin. If you don't know who Dawkin is, in the late '80s, Dawkin was part of the hair bands that came out. They've been around since I don't know '78, and they, they were literally, they were blamed for the death of rock and roll and the start of grunge. And uh, there's a bunch of videos where they talk about it. it's, it's priceless. But In My Dreams was one of their their uh, signature songs, and uh, I just think it's it's fitting today. So I'm going to end today with uh, Doc and In Your Dreams and uh, Total 80s Hairband. But uh, it fits the genre and it fits the day. God bless. One team, one fight.